0: So, over the next several weeks, we are going to be spending time in the book of Genesis in chapter twenty two and this is the lectionary text for this coming Sunday from the Old testament and you all know my affinity for the Old Testament, and that if i uh, I will always try and preach from the Old Testament passages, but as I combed through this particular text, um, I found we we might need to spend just a little bit more time than a one evening. So tonight we are beginning our work with a story that's often called the Binding of Isaac, or the Sacrifice of Isaac. It is. Often considered in the seminary world a text of terror because it is a hard word to proclaim and to find the good news within the text. And it's hard for preachers to preach. And so, over the next three weeks, we are going to be sp- spending time parsing it out and understanding the dissonance between the God that we often perceive in the Old Testament and the God that we have come to experience in and through the person of Jesus Christ. So we'll look at this text from a couple of different angles to see if we can uncover and recover the God that we have all come to know through the totality of Scripture. And so after we read this Scripture together, I'm going to invite you to share a response to this question. What are the things that don't sit well with you in this particular text? So we'll read it together. I'll give us a few moments to rest in the word, and then we'll offer a time of sharing. If you're online, pop your thoughts in the comment section so you can participate as well. Here, the word of God from Genesis chapter 22. Verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham. He, God said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But... The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hands on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham took, looked up and saw a ram Caught in a thicket by its thorns, Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. My friends, even this hard word is indeed the word of God. And as hard as it may be, we do give thanks by saying thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, this is a challenge. And it's hard to see where you are within this text. And God, we lift up persons for whom this text is hard and difficult in a unique in personal way. God be with us all this evening. Trusting as we do in your spirit's presence in your spirit's guidance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I invite you, my friends, to share Aloud, if you feel comfortable, what are the places in this text that do not sit well with you? And it's fair to say the whole thing. it's fair to say the whole thing. Yes, too Mm-hmm. Yes. So our friend is saying it's just odd because of Abraham's history and the backstory that Isaac was a miracle and then for God to ask Abraham to do such a thing it's as odd. Amen. Any others? Yes, Barbara. Mm. Say more. mm mm, mm. mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So our friend Barbara is saying that it's a foretaste of what is to come, a glimmer of the Messiah. Thank you. Jackie, you had your hand up? Yes. yes. If I was Abraham, I would have said no. Yes. <laughs> I think I would too. If I were Abraham, I would say no, was what Jackie said. Any, yes. Uh, does Chase, let's go to Chase first and then Fred. On five. On five. four. On four uh, verse four. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. That verse. Okay, we're gonna let him type on his pad and go to Fred. Mhm. Mhm. Mm. Yes, we're asked to do things for God, and the the call is for us to trust. God in those moments. Dan, you had your hand up. Yeah, um, verse, eight, eight. verse 8 is a place where... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it doesn't sit well with you. Verse this this almost a mischievous side uh it was, the third day. it was the third day, so a connection to uh some messianic messiah uh connections there uh, it reminds us of Jesus on the third day, so yes, Fred. So- one- Mm-hmm. Mhm. All right. I Mhm. Uh, the Trinity, the, Trinity, the uh, so uh emphasis on on the three, the number 3 is trinitarian. Interesting. I like that. So as you can see, there are a lot of places in this passage that rub us in not great ways where like many of you, I often question, what is it that God is doing here? Who is this God that I am meeting in this place? And so tonight, I want to focus on maybe the first place, the very first place that I know I feel uncomfortable. And it's in that very first sentence, particularly the fifth word, God tested Abraham. This feels icky to me, and I don't know if it feels icky to you, but the word tested for me feels eerily close to the words "tempts" or tricks that are used to describe the interaction between Adam and Eve and the serpent just a couple of chapters earlier at the beginning of the book of Genesis. This word tested for me is not in line with the God of justice and mercy and love that I have come to know. And I struggle with seeing that this God is indeed the same God that I believe in, that I have come to know and trust that God is at work even in this place in Scripture. So what is really going on in this passage? How is it that we are to understand what will unfold in the next three verses of this passage? Or the next 13 verses of this passage? And to answer these questions, I believe that we have to look at the Hebrew word nissa that has been historically translated as tested. Tested. A little background when you look and are doing a search of a Hebrew word you will often find that Hebrew scholars list almost a range of words or a couple of different options if you will these options honor the nuance and the honor the original ancient languages that may not have a a simple English translation that directly matches the context of the world that they were living in, the situation of what was happening in Scripture. And so scholars often give several words that we might use to help us navigate the nuance of the situation in which the word is found. So for the word nissa if you were to look it up in something called a Hebrew lexicon this is like a dictionary for all of the ancient Hebrew words that lists the words lists the places in which it's found in scripture and gives the multitude or the range of words if you look up nissa in this place you will see that there are two possible meanings for this word, to test or to prove. To test or to prove. Upon first glance, there's not much of a difference between these words, testing and proving. Both words indicate a gathering of information of some sort. To test or the act of testing is something that is initiated, it feels like, from the top down, where a test is given to someone. And the burden of achieving that test rests solely on the student or the person who is being tested. However, if you look at the word to prove or to ask for proof of something, to show the information, to elicit information of what you might already know, almost equalizes the responsibility between the two parties, the person asking for the information and the person who brings that information to the table. In that sense, the information that is being elicited is initiated from the bottom up, offered up by the person who is asked for that information. So when you ask someone to prove something, you are eliciting evidence of what someone already brings to the table rather than cross-referencing their gifts or their answers with a preconceived checklist of what is right and what is wrong in which they must need necessary standards. To test is from the top down. To prove is from the bottom up. If you think about it in the world of education, over the last several years, education and grading systems have moved into a something that they call mastery, mastery-based mastery learning. It's something that many school systems have leaned into because it's a more equitable approach to learning. It's where students present the information that they know and are graded not for what they lack, but are graded for what they present to the table. As a high school student, I was someone who deeply struggled with test anxiety. How many of you all have been there struggling with test anxiety? I knew my material but the second I walked into a testing space there was so much anxiety over me that I could not perform to the best of my abilities to the best that I to show best that I knew the information at hand and so this approach did not hit my world until I reached seminary. I struggled all the way through high school and even college. And when I made it to seminary at Duke Divinity School, you could imagine that I had a bit of a uh, imposter syndrome, is what they call it, where I wondered if I should even be sitting in a Duke classroom, because I could barely make a C or a B on a test in high school. So what was I doing here? And the first thing in our orientation group that one of the administrators of Duke Divinity School said is that we grade you for what you bring to the table. So when you go into that testing room, just write everything that you know. We are not gonna dock you for the things that you do not know. There, isn't, there might be a checklist of things that we are looking for, but the more you give us, the more points you earn. So it is based on what I brought to the table. I got to prove what it is that I already knew, the gifts that I brought to the table. So research shows that mastery-based learning, this idea that students bring what they know to the table and that be the place from which they grow and learn. This helps students become aware of their own abilities, which leads them to becoming stronger and more self-directed learners. So what if, what if this is the way in which the writer of Genesis intended for this word Nissa to be interpreted? God isn't saying to Abraham, Let me give you this test to see if you meet all of the necessary standards of what it looks like to be a faithful disciple. Instead, God is offering an invitation to Abraham. Show me what you know. Abraham, what are the things, the gifts, the knowledge that you already bring to this relationship? And now I'm asking you to prove it. Prove what it is that you bring to the table. Because, friends, the truth is our God is not a God of tests. Our God is not a God of tricks. Our God is a God of invitation. So what is the invitation in this mess of a passage, if you will? What does Abraham No. Some of you have mentioned some of the things that Abraham knows already. What does Abraham bring to the table? If we go back in Genesis chapter 12, we hear God say to Abraham, or at that time, Abram, I will make of you a great nation. Abraham knows this promise of God. Genesis chapter 15 tells us that God said, look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. So shall your descendants be. Abraham knows that God's key, God keeps God's promises. And he has the proof and the miraculous birth of Isaac. Abraham has had time to get to know who God is, to be in relationship with God. So Abraham brings all of that time, all of that knowledge to the table to inform how he approaches what God has asked him to do and what he ultimately does in this passage. That's why if you go back in Scripture, the places where Abraham is in conversation with the two servants he brought alongside when he says uh, that both, both he and Isaac would return after the moment of worship. That in Abraham's conversation with Isaac, he was sure and certain that God would provide what was needed for the offering and he was willing up into the point the final moment to trust in that i think this is also why in james in james's letter to the early christian church you might have this verse these verses in your bulletin james says this in chapter 2 Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and by works, faith was brought to completion. And I'm missing a little bit here. Thus, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That word justified is a term of proof. Abraham brought the proof of Abraham's trust, of Abraham's faithfulness, of Abraham's knowledge of who God was that brought him through the toughest moments maybe of his entire life. Friends, our God knows what it means to be tested and tried. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, took on that burden of being tested and tried All the way to the cross so that we, God's beloved children, might never have to experience that burden of of being tested and tempted and tried for ourselves. So why on earth would our God, a God of invitation, test or ask one of God's beloved children to be tested? Just as God invited Abraham to bring to the table what he knew about God, what he knew about God's relationship together, he brought all of that knowledge, and that knowledge then influenced his actions throughout the rest of this scripture. Now, friends, this is not a full picture This is not a full understanding of what is happening within this scripture but it helps give us some new insight, a new way about thinking about this particular passage, about seeing our God, the God whom we have come to know, present here just as God invited Abraham. God invites us through the power of the Holy Spirit, to consider what it is that we bring to the table. What are the places, what are the things that we know about who God is in our own lives? How has God shown up for us in times of distress and trouble? What are the promises that we can rest on that help us walk through our daily lives? that help us lean into the fullness of faithfulness and trust. And I think that is the invitation for us tonight, is to ponder where it is, what it is that we know, and then to live our lives in a way that proves it, that proves what it is that we know, the truth of God's love, the truth of the cross, the truth that we are invited to taste and see that this is indeed a good message. But it might just take a little bit of time to parse out that good news, amen? So what is it that we know? We know that God is love. We know that God is good. And we are invited To prove it. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen.